Welcome to episode 118 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. You know, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, I would like to remind you that subscribing is the best way to make sure that you never miss an episode of Stageworthy. And there are some great episodes coming up, so trust me when I tell you that you don't want to miss them. So make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to get every new episode of Stageworthy delivered right to your device. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Phil Rickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest is Ryan Zero from Make Art Theatre, which is presenting Richard III until March 24th at the Staircase Theatre in Hamilton. Exactly. And business people are very good at business, which means that they're not going to do it for free. Mm -hmm. If you want a good businessman to help you run your thing, you can't just say, hey, I'm going to profit share with you or, hey, you know, can you do no. this on spec? They're going to be like, no, I need $70,000 a year. Sure. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, <laughs> to do your and even, even a freelancer, like you're going to yeah. come across somebody. Of course. Like, yeah. You know, I, 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 they'll be like, oh, I have to eat. Of course, yes, and of course they have to eat and stuff like that. And so in, in some cases, there's, there's probably some kind of a magic mystical being out there like something out of greek mythology <laughs> with the head of a marketer and the body of an artist and the you know heart of a musician and so forth and, and who is interested in growing mm. specifically your business who is like yeah i will pro bono dedicate mm. my time for a couple of years to help you boost your business until it's successful and sure. then we'll all reap the rewards but sure. to find that guy is anybody listening is anybody out there <laughs> uh, you know and, and if, if you know my email address is <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is definitely that that kind of thing where you're like, um, and you know, it's in in the Toronto art scene. It's almost like getting the word out is hard because the people who are listening are also listening to various different channels talking yeah. about upcoming theater. There is literally something happening all the time. Yeah, there's a, yeah. Well, and you know, more and more, I'm noticing that actually in Hamilton. Like I'm. Uh, one of the things that I'm going, I'm seriously looking at for for next year, because I've been doing, I've done three full seasons of Make Art Theater, mm -hmm. and before those, I was doing kind of festival circuits and stuff. But sure. since start, since literally starting the full three seasons, so we're talking three years ago, yeah, um, not even two and a half, two and three quarters years ago, um, I was the only one in town basically doing mm. classical theater. There was a couple of other people, sure. and all like it was like a month after I started, like a ton of other people started. So mm. I'm starting to rethink like the classical component of make art theater and and because uh when i started when i the first shakespeare show i did which mm -hmm. was much ado about nothing at the hamilton fringe um was the last year that hamilton urban theater did a show they're still mm -hmm. sort of active in workshops and stuff like sure. that i think and, and classes for students but last time they did a full show to my knowledge and uh 
And so I was kind of at that point almost like the only game in town. Well, then almost immediately after that, now there's like Tottering Biped and 9M uh, Productions mm-hmm. and uh, Flint and Steel. And mm-hmm. uh, like there's another one, I think, somewhere. And, and so like there's like now there's like five people doing sure. Shakespeare. And so there's, you know, my, my brain is kind of like, well, if that's no longer a niche that mm-hmm. I can access, then maybe I got to move sure. something else. What I mean, in, in terms of like when you're looking at like niches in 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 in, in Hamilton, is there a niche that is aside from the classical that isn't being filled, or is there? I think there's a lot of niches that aren't being filled. Sure. There's, a, there's one company they started last year. Um, they did Venus and Fur, mm-hmm. uh, Rooks Theater, and it was a marvelous production. Mm-hmm. It was really really good, and so they seem to be. They also did a series of sort of radio plays around Christmas. Mm-hmm. So, but they seem to be uh, like live radio plays. Sure, kind yeah. of really cool. And uh, and anyway, so they, they they seem to be kind of accessing sort of that like with Venus and Fur. I mean, they're mm. kind of accessing that like dark, interesting uh, kind of theater, right? So sure. like they're kind of going there. Um, there's another company in town that may do like political shows, mm-hmm. same boat uh, theater. So like the, yeah, there's a few niches, but yeah. there's a lot of stuff that people haven't quite accessed mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Now the other weird thing about Hamilton is. I'm not sure how many of those niches, and only by exploring do you find out, but sure. I'm not sure how many of those niches kind of exist. Sure. Because it's kind of a weird town where there's like a ton of artists, but there's a ton of like steel workers, and there's a ton yeah. of, you know, it's very, it's a very, very, very blue collar town sure. in a lot of ways. And so, yeah. like, some of the artier stuff, like performance art, mm-hmm. I don't think would fly here. Not that it, Well, it's hard to know. I mean, of course, like, yeah, until you go in there and then yeah. you find, oh, there's a ton of people here who maybe want that. So, and you, know. you never really know what that, I mean, one of the interesting things every time, every time I'm, I'm in Hamilton, I'm, I'm struck by the two Hamiltons. Yeah, the art is the new steel, and the the more hipstery Hamilton, and the steel town. Yeah, Hamilton. And I think a lot of times they're in conflict. There was recently mm. uh, the, um, a bunch of idiots went down Lock Street yes. and threw yeah. uh, bricks through windows or stones and stuff like that. <clears throat> Notably carrying banners about that said, we are the ungovernable, which mm-hmm. I thought was especially ironic because they were all wearing masks. Mm. And if you're really ungovernable, you don't need a mask. No, of course. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, from my understanding of that incident is they were um, purportedly protesting gentrification. Exactly, right? But so, attacking small, like these small businesses that... Yeah, were you know some of them had been struggling. You know, it's not really fighting the man. You're not fighting the man. You're fighting, you're fighting a little like the little guy. Well, this might come as a sh- it might come as a shock to some people, but but it turns out that these that these angry rock throwing anarchist bums actually did not really think their plan through. Really. <laughs> Yeah, because really. The people who were just like throwing rocks at things, they weren't actually considering, like, the, they didn't have a plan. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's, it's, it's, yeah, it's very it odd. That they, like a thing yeah. That, yeah. But Napoleon wasn't leading this. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, the response has been really great. I think, like, the, I think that those businesses have had a lot of community, good community oh, response sure. and, and, and stuff like that. So that's really great to know. But that is what, that is kind of what you're talking about. The two Hamiltons There's yeah. kind of a conflict there of one half is the, is the, the lock street hipsters, you know, with their businesses and their, their chic, whatever they're doing. Yeah. And then the other half are, are angry that these businesses exist, that they're taking over what was our blue collar sure. Mecca. Right. Well, the question is, the interesting question is, is were those people who were throwing the rocks, yeah. were those the, Blue collar oh, who knows? I who mean, knows? We don't know because they're uncomfortable well, people wearing masks. Well, yes. I mean, 
I mean, I don't... I can only speculate. Mm-hmm. Um, my my brain takes me to a place of where where I can kind of try to deduce what what it was going on. My guess is basically it's probably a bunch of people who were down on their luck and really unhappy that they were down on their luck mm-hmm. personally. Not not I'm not talking about you know socio politically or anything, but just that they were particularly down on their luck mm-hmm. and were angry and felt like they didn't have any other recourse and thought I'm angry. And I'm mad, and I'm going to blame you, and I'm going to throw a rock right. because I don't have anything else to do. It's the same reason why some, why a lot of people wind up stealing things. It's because yeah. it's like I can't get a job, I don't know where to get money. Uh, I'm just going to go hold up a Seven Eleven, sure. you know, and and uh, <coughs> not that that's right or that that makes them, you know, but you try to you try to understand that they're angry and that yeah. they're desperate and that they're in a place they feel like they've been forced there into a corner. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's really sad that that happens, and you have to stop it, and you have mm-hmm. to to fight back against it. But uh, you, I, I try to understand the people I don't like. Yeah, I, I mean, you can. I, I mean, that's you. You do have that. Like, you can either do that or just be like, "Fuck those guys," and like write yeah. them off. Of course, and continue to build a rift between whoever they are. And yeah, and that's yourself. that's you, our echo chamber. Exactly, and yeah. and that's one of the biggest problems mm-hmm. that we have these days. I mean, no. I shouldn't say that. That's one of the biggest problems humanity has always had, and it has become very sharply defined yes. in an era of the internet. But I mean, we've always had it. We've always insulated within oh, tribes, sure. and then yeah. said, "Oh, all these other tribes around us are weirdos. We're the good ones." Yeah, um, we've always like, done that. Not like us. Exactly, yeah. and we live in that echo chamber. You know what yeah. I heard? I heard this about them, and I heard, and of course, we don't do that. We yeah. are great. They're bad. We are great. They're bad, yeah, and yeah, we yeah, just yeah. keep doing that. And it's only become, you know, sort of more. More uh, visible. We see it in more the in a digital age yeah. where people are writing it down and mm-hmm. sharing it. One of my favorite quotes is um, Times are bad. Children no longer obey their parents, and everyone is writing a book. And I don't remember which senator, but it was a Roman senator yeah, that yeah, yeah. said it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so I think that in some ways Bob Dylan was right, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that the times have changed all that much. Well, it's that whole, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Exactly. Right? Which is kind of why yeah. I like Shakespeare. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fascinating thing about Shakespeare is this guy who was writing plays mm-hmm. in the 1500s. Yep. Wrote characters that still resonate today. Of course, yeah. And, and deeply, deeply resonate. Yeah. And and uh, I, I read a quote recently. Some It was uh, in a maximum security men's prison down in the States, I believe. And they were doing a production of Julius Caesar, like in the prison. Mm-hmm. And a reporter doing us to ask one of these guys, like, why? Like, you're, you know, you're, you're. I mean, it wasn't death row, but it's like one below that, sure, right? Yeah, like you're, you're, you're super max. You're never getting out. Yeah. There's razor wire everywhere. Like it's like you're in here forever. Yeah. Why bother putting on Shakespeare? What is it about Shakespeare that you guys need to talk about? And, mm-hmm. and the guy said, "Well, as long as people love and hate and have ambition mm-hmm. and are jealous and envious and all these things, there will always be Shakespeare." Yeah. And I was like, yeah. "Yes, yes, absolutely." <gasps> yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's just, and everything, like I said, I did uh, Julius Caesar last mm. year in November, and uh, throughout that process, and throughout the process of doing Richard III as well, we were constantly uh, being like, this is exactly what's going mm. on right now. Like, yeah. everything is exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, one of Richard's big things in that play is that he feels like one of the guys who wants to be ungovernable, right? Like he's, he feels like people just make fun of him mm-hmm. and they don't like him mm-hmm. and he feels ostracized and he feels like he can't do anything. That's the opening speech. He says, I, in this weak piping time of peace, mm-hmm. have no delight to pass away the time unless to spy my shadow in the sun and descant or make fun of my own yeah. deformity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And therefore, and then he goes on to say, because I can't do that, I'm going to take revenge on everybody who won't let me party with them, who won't let me have fun with them, who don't like me. I'm going to yeah. go throw rocks. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and so it, 500 years ago, 400 years ago, whatever, you know, it, it's exactly the same mm-hmm. situation. Human nature hasn't really changed all that much. Yeah. The interesting thing with, with, with Richard is not just like he, he doesn't want to just throw rocks. He's in essence like tearing everything down. Oh, yeah. He's not like a guy without power in the streets. Yes. He's a guy who. who he's far who, more effectual. Yes. <laughs> yes. And he's making stuff happen. That, that, which is another thing that I adore about Shakespeare. Mm. I, I, I remember watching a few years ago on Netflix for the first time The West Wing. I watched The West Wing all the way through. And one of the things I kept thinking about was like, man, these writers are not afraid to make stuff happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they will assassinate world leaders and they will, you know, they, they will do things yeah. in this show. Um, and so often I see theater where people, writers, are afraid to do things. Yeah. What they want to do for some weird reason is have people standing around a kitchen being like, the corn is coming in well today. Well, I and mean, you're like, somebody just like, you know, not that that play can't be about big things. Sure. And that play, and I've loved that play. I've yeah, seen that yeah. play and I've loved that play. But, you know, but, but there is nobody writing, you know, war and, mm-hmm. or I shouldn't say nobody, but it's so very rare to find somebody who's writing you know, kings trying to overthrow mm. kings and, and writing life and death and, and all sure. these big things, like, right to the hilt mm-hmm. and pushing their characters far enough. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, and the, I mean, Shakespeare lived in a time when the people that we all looked up, that, 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 that were looked up to yeah. were nobles, yes. were kings, were queens. Yes. People who, <clears throat> by their nature, could make things happen. Yeah. And in our day, the people that we see around us, the people that we um, that we look up to, yeah, maybe you're not those people. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they are. Yeah, but a lot of people, you know, who's your who's your hero? Is well, that's that's democracy. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes, that's the rise of democracy. That's it, is, that is, is it because now now anybody can be in government? Exactly. So it's it's not we actually we haven't changed in some ways we haven't changed who we respect. Mm-hmm. We've just changed who can be those people. Mm-hmm. So we still respect people with power and authority and money. Yeah. It's just now anybody can have them. Or ostensibly anybody In can theory, have them. anybody who has yes. the money to be able to run a well, campaign can have it. Well, and you know, anybody can kind of get that money. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah. it is really, 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 really difficult for some people to get that money. But yes. but the- theoretically, mm-hmm. you could come from, you know, the 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 worst slums on the planet and you could come over to the wealthiest nation in the Mm. world. And I'm not sure where the worst slums are and I'm not sure where the wealthiest nation is. So I'm not trying to make this about geopolitics, but, um, but you could come from, from there and go to there. And then theoretically you could claw your way up to pretty much the top. Sure. Okay. If you're an immigrant, you can't be president of the United States, but you can be a judge and you can be a Senator. You can be in government there. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we do live in a world where those boundaries are not non-existent, Mm. but they're a lot thinner than they were in Shakespeare's day when you needed blue blood to to make it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Even if very, very peripherally, Oh dear, we've, 
spent so much time doing Civil Wars and War of the Roses that we have no idea where to go. Uh, we got to go to Germany to get the next uh, <laughs> British king, um, which is what they had to do in the 1700s. I'm trying to remember exactly what facilitated it, but they had to go get... They, they, they went over that. That was the, I want to say the Hanovers, but I could be wrong about that. That's King George the first. And he sort of stays out of politics because he doesn't speak English. <laughs> so he's just England's king. Sure. And then George the second, he speaks English, but he's kind of like, I'm just going to do what dad did and stay out of politics. Now, George the second's wife never liked that. Mm. She wasn't a big fan of him staying out of politics. And, uh, and she wanted, she thought that their dynasty should be exercising mm. more control. She encouraged her son to exercise more control, particularly over the upstart colonies. Yes, and well, King George III takes mom's advice and taxes the daylights out of America. Yes. And they're like, and that starts the revolution. And because somebody was taking that much interest in, in politics in the world, they, uh, yep. they uh, Things will occur. I always find those things interesting, those little seeds mm -hmm. that become... I, I will not remember the sequence of events, but basic... Uh, Cracked ran an article years ago about how a sandwich started World War One, mm. And it's because they, they were trying to assassinate Ferdinand. Yes. And they miss, and mm -hmm. they hit his driver yeah. or one of his bodyguards. And Ferdinand is, is apparently compassionate for this fellow. Mm -hmm. And he's driving around looking for a hospital, and, is, and they're getting lost, and they don't know where they're going. And the assassins, meanwhile, have... Uh, have regrouped at a at a cafe to mm. mourn the fact that they missed Ferdinand and who should drive by but Archduke Ferdinand and yeah. they get a second shot and yeah, they yeah, yeah. shoot him and they kill him because they stop for a sandwich. Yeah, something and, like that, yeah. And that starts a chain of events that wind up with World War One. Sure. Um and you and, and World War One starts a chain of events that winds up with mm -hmm. World War Two, that yeah. winds up with the Cold War that wants you know, this I always find like just those little seeds that start Sure. Become trees. I mean, you know, that's. I mean, and that the the interesting thing about those seeds is is if you were to look at Shakespeare's Wars of the Roses cycles, yeah, that ends with Richard the Third, yeah, which resolves the whole thing, yeah. There are so many seeds that are planted early on. Oh yeah. And well, and a lot of people. I didn't do this when uh, when cutting uh, Richard down. Mm -hmm. Figuratively, I mean the the, the play, not the, mm. not the man. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but when uh, when doing our edit, um, you know, a lot of people uh, uh, splice in a bit of Henry the Sixth, mm. where there's a speech of Richards in there uh, that a lot of people splice into the opening mm. monologue mm. Um, of Richards. Uh, Olivier did it in his film sure. version, for instance, um, and uh, and I didn't, but people do take sure. those earlier bits and kind of mix them in. What's interesting, uh, there, uh, there was a company many, many years ago, and they, they, they did this, you could watch it, I remember on TVO, they did the entire history cycle. Like all like the all of histories. Them. That's, like all of the histories? All or, of the history or specifically, plays. oh, that's... No, they did all of the history plays with, with a... With a um, did they start with Caesar? <laughs> no. They started with like the English history. I guess you'd have to start with Troilus and Cressida. I think that one's... I don't even know. I think that one... No, I I know it doesn't oh, count as like, I'm just saying I'm just saying like that that is the well, earliest like, one theoretically yeah, they, they, historically. They, they like the the ones that were the uh, um, all the the English history ones. They did this whole cycle yeah. with, with a company of actors. Yeah, and some of the actors would play like a character in a particular family like the whole way through. So, yeah, um, and it was like, that's an interesting thing to watch. But when they got to the Wars of the Roses stuff, because you know we all knew we all know Richard the Third. Yeah. 
But do we know the Henrys? And do we know like do we know all the things that came before it? Yeah, no. The, <clears throat> I I barely know them, and I've <clears throat> I've read. I don't think I've read all of the Henry sixth ones. Mm. Um, I've read Henry fourth, both sure. parts one and two, and I saw what was the Keanu Reeves or uh, River Phoenix uh, film, My Own oh. Private Idaho, okay. and half of it is like this, you know, dark realist movie about uh, these street hustlers, and the other half is like. Henry the Fourth, <laughs> but they're still they're still the street hustlers. Sure. It's like it's super weird. Mm. It's a super weird movie. It's kind of worth watching in a lot of ways, but like it's, it's so weird. Yeah, but I mean, you find in those early, like in the Henry the Sixth, you find like all of the the early, like some of the some re- like Richard the Third stuff. And yeah, he says pretty early on what he plans to do. Yeah. in Richard the Third, you know, so it's yeah. like it's almost like that speech at the beginning of Richard the Third is kind of a recap. Yeah, which it might have been. I mean, I I actually have not looked this up for some time. You know, back in school, of course, mm. I learned it. But um, uh, you know, I haven't looked it up for some time. Which order they were written in, mm. um, as well, because it very well might have been a recap. You know, last week on Richard, yeah, right? I like, can't just, remember. You're right. I can't remember if they were written like. I have did to you look write that up. Richard the Third and then go back? Because he didn't do them in order. I do no, know that he did not no. do them in order. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, you know, it, it may well have been like Richard the Third, and then and then uh, people are like, you know, that Richard guy, we're really interested in him. What's yeah? You know, well, that's what happened with Falstaff. That that's one? what happened with Falstaff, yeah, right? Which people were like, Falstaff's great, and he had to Mary write. Mary Wives of Windsor is a terrible play. That, so I've heard. I've never <laughs> actually read the Mary Wives of Windsor. Uh, it's, I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, See, it I'll, like, I'll probably read it eventually. It was just like, like it's like one of those. It feels like the sequel that didn't need to be, didn't need to be made. You know, yeah. like the second two pirates movies. Yes, like it's when that movie they finally make that movie. And you're like, oh, I really missed that. Oh, that's what they chose to do. With it. Well, that's why, that's why specifically I bring up the Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. movies because they were like, boy, uh, Johnny, uh, uh, what's uh, Jack Sparrow? He's yeah. he's a really great character. Let's make him the main character. Yes. No, he's no. the comic relief. No, he is the comic relief. Yeah. and he doesn't way, work. Yeah. yeah, and so Falstaff probably the same. Yeah, thing. very yeah. much so. But I mean, the thing is, like, whereas Winter is completely unrelated to anything that we've seen before about yeah. oh, Falstaff. He's just... He's just Falstaff, he's just, yeah. He's there. I wonder, like, I wonder what audiences at the time... Like, did audiences flock to it and love Falstaff anyway? And were there, Was there just, like, a couple of elites sitting at the back being like, oh, this is ridiculous? Oh, probably. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think, like, he wrote it because he, you know, he had the pressure because of the, you know... Yeah. Falstaff dies in uh, uh, Henry V, part two. F- fourth two. Fourth two, yeah. And then, right, fourth. Yeah, and he's then, not around. No, he's fifth. not around for the fifth. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. So, well, we, we liked that guy. So, yeah. Okay, so we should. We would like to like see Sherlock or, or Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. So they do resurrect. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, he killed him. So I've heard he killed him in the first place because he was sick of him. Yes. Like he just didn't want to write him anymore. It, like he was like the Sherlock Holmes guy. And he was like, I have which, other things. I wrote the Lost World, people. Which, which interestingly, uh, you know, it's it's maybe it's a curse involving Holmes himself because mm. uh, Basil Rathbone was mm. typecast as villains his for his movie career, mm-hmm. and then he got the opportunity to play Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. a hero character, and he's like terrific. And so he takes. That role, and then he got typecast as Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that can happen. I mean, people yeah. are afraid of typecasting. I, I'm not totally sure why, to some extent. I, but this is speaking as a guy who is struggling to sell plays in Hamilton, you know. So to me, 
being typecast and then working the next 20 years playing the same type of character sounds awesome, right? Like, you know, just that sounds you can, great. You learn to, like, embrace that and just be like, yes, this is what yeah. I do. Well, yeah. and, you know, and I understand why if I was, if I thought I was being typecast, mm-hmm. I certainly would try to break it to some extent. Sure. But, yes, I would also kind of try to embrace it. And, and some guys do break it. Sure. Um, uh, Heath Ledger broke it. Oh, sure. You know, he was, he found himself being typecast as the pretty boy hero and he did not want to do that. And so he started taking, he took on, I think the first one was actually Brothers Grimm, the Terry yeah. Gilliam film yeah. where he played sort of this like jittery, twitchy dude. Sure, but that's the film that was never finished, right? No, 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 it was uh, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Oh, it was The Imaginarium of Dr. Which, which is a far superior film to yes. Brothers Grimm. But, and, you know, it was like he never, like he didn't finish that. So yeah, you know. But... I one of the reasons not yeah. I mean there's a lot of reasons I think to really like that movie but uh, one of the reasons that I think it's really great is that they somehow managed to work it where if I'm not sure what they would have done if he hadn't have died that's true <laughs> you know like you watch the that's movie true. and you go it's so seamless not just in terms of the effects and mm-hmm. who they got to play the replacement him yeah. as he goes through but even just the way that the plot is structured you're like of course that's where it had to go yeah. that's what has yeah. to happen it had mm-hmm. to be a, a new actors playing him in those mm-hmm. final scenes yeah. um, and so it was just I just thought it was it was fantastic mm-hmm. the way that they did that because it doesn't feel like it was unfinished Sure. It doesn't feel like they had to do a rewrite or a recast. It just yeah. feels like a, a great movie. Anyway, so he he managed to break it with Brothers Grimm, and then and then the, I think the the big one was Brokeback Mountain, right? Um, which, although technically still a romantic lead, um, it was not the kind of romantic lead he was used to playing. Exactly, and so it it broke the 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 strain for him. Then and then he got to do and the, Joker, the Joker, and then he was done. Yeah, which is really too bad. It was, yeah. Um, I remember being very shocked by it, here, reading the news. I, I, I stopped in at the school library at the time uh, to check my email. And uh, and up on, uh, it, I think I was on IMDb, and uh, and the headline page was, you know, Heath Ledger's dead. Yeah. And I did like a double take. I'm like, he's like, is he like 30? You know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, like what, what, what? What do you mean Heath Ledger's dead? Right? Like, it's, you know, and yeah. yeah. It was the same thing that I, kind of the same reaction that I had with uh, Anton Yelchin. Yeah, you know when oh, yeah, when yeah. when uh, new Chekhov, yeah. and then my uh, my friend Tyler, who's in uh, Richard the Third with me, he's he said uh, when we were talking about it, he pointed out that depressingly that means that young Chekhov died before old Chekhov died. Oh fuck! Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? You yes, know, you're just yeah. kind of like, oh, oh come oh, on, what is wrong with the universe? <laughs> Yeah. And David Bowie's dead. I thought he was immortal. I they was ca- I was immortal. I was counting on it. I was sure fact. that he was actually a fairy king. <laughs> yes, he's actually Jareth Goblin King. I, I mean and was playing the role of David Bowie. Would, I would I would have bought not it. That would be the perfect like that's that would be I, the most David Bowieiest thing. I saw a brilliant meme uh towards the end mm. of that year because that was the year of of the election mm-hmm. and uh, and many other uh, Alan Rickman had, had yep. died as well yep. and, and all this this disaster seemed mm-hmm. to have been occurring the entire year and this meme said I'm not saying David Bowie was holding the universe together but <laughs> <laughs> that is true uh, yes um, in which case the Mayans wouldn't have been off by that much no, really just, just, you know, their calculations were yep. just a little skewed yeah just five six years something yeah. like that yeah <laughs> Um, I was just disappointed it didn't happen like in the movie 2012 yes (laughs) that that would it's now it's 2012 and everything like starts falling apart (laughs) Um, 
to get back to Richard the Third, yes, we've gone off on a bit of a tangent. I don't mind the tangents. No, I love tangents. Um, it, at what point did you decide to to do Richard the Third? Was there something in particular that made you decide that that Richard was what you needed to do now? Well, um, I wanted to program a couple of classical shows, mm-hmm. and so I was kind of sort of rooting around for which ones. Mm-hmm. Caesar had slotted in kind of naturally because of the uh, when I programmed it, all the politics of the world were looming around, and sure. I was like, "This is a great political play in a lot of ways," mm-hmm. and and it really is. Um, it's a really, really great play. Um, it really clips along too. Mm. Every now and then, as big a fan of as I am of Shakespeare, some of them kind of drag. But I remember reading oh. Julius Caesar and mm-hmm. going. This really moves. Like, there is, there's, I'm trying to think, I don't believe there's a B plot. Mm. Like, most Shakespeare's, there's, like, in King Lear, there's King Lear, and then there's kind of, like, Edward, or Edmund and Edgar. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, there's a, this B plot sort of running around. But with Julius Caesar, it's just Brutus. Mm. It's just him being Brutus and, yeah. and killing Caesar and all this kind of Anyways, so I programmed that one, and mm. I thought it'd be good to kind of do another sort of a politically kind of one. So I'm mm. sort of looking at those. I've always really, really loved the character of Richard. Well, how can you not? Exactly. I mean, first off, that, just, just right there. Yeah. And I think ultimately, it, to some extent, pure egomania. Yeah. Me just going, I really want to play Richard. <laughs> um, kind of pushed me over the edge. Mm. Uh, before fully solidifying it, I, I uh, work with a group in town called the uh, Actors Forge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't start it. Uh, it was um, started by... Ooh, I want to say Katie Allen and Stephanie Lawler and Victoria Adam. There's a few people that sort of started it. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically the idea is just a bunch of actors get together and we just kind of throw stuff around. Mm. Um, we do, you know, warm-ups and exercises, and we do this technique or that technique, or we show each other, I'm working on this monologue, or let's mm. work on this scene together, and we kind of critique each other, and it's sort of like a nice, um, friendly but honest yeah. environment, mm-hmm. uh, professionals and peers governing each other, mm. instead of like a master-teacher-student kind of dynamic mm. anyway so at that one of the things we did a Shakespeare unit like we did a whole bunch of Shakespeare at one point and uh, I brought in Richard III because mm. the opening monologue is one of my favorite monologues and so I'm working on that finally solidified it where I'm like I'm not dropping this I'm just going to keep doing it this was yeah. a, a long time ago now but uh, when I was working on it but uh, and so I said yes I'm doing Richard III okay. um, and I, I, I want to play Richard <laughs> <laughs> I I, I <laughs> I, I try to keep that sort of egomaniacal casting out of my work. Well, I mean, we all try, but occasionally it has to it has to come out. I mean, why else did we do this in the first place? Well, and I do respect people who are kind of honest about it, too. Yeah. Because th- there's some stuff where I go, I'd like to play this role. Mm-hmm. And there's, some, there's plenty of those, actually, where I have recast them. Right. Where I have been like, I want to do this play, and I want to play this part, and then I see people audition, and I say, what parts are you interested mm. in? And they tell me, and sometimes they go, yeah, you would be better at that than me, mm. and I cast them instead. Right. So it's not a pure ego thing, but I do try to be honest and say that, you know, there are some parts that I kind of want to play them, and I just, I want to do it. We all have that, and if you're, yeah. if you're producing, you get to do that. Sometimes. Yeah, and and I'm, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to be the best Richard III in the world. I would guess probably Sir Ian McKellen, though I have yet to watch his film version. Um, I'm quite fond of his film version, actually. I, 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 when I was researching, and so, like, basically, I will watch it probably sometime this week, mm-hmm. now that our version has opened, and I can not be influenced yes. by it, because, yeah. I, you know, you don't want to watch... I don't mind watching other people's performances on plays 
like halfway or three quarters of the way through a rehearsal sure. process because by that point I'm pretty solid in my direction mm. and it won't it won't jar me around. Sure. Um, I did use his. Uh, I didn't take his script, but I did read his script while I was cutting. Yeah. Uh, particularly if I was. Um, Cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting out of a monologue, and eventually I'd go, Boy, did I just really hack that to ribbons? I mean, did I destroy it? And I would go over to Ian McKellen's version of Richard III, his script, and I would read it and I would see what he did. And if he cut it too, I'd go, Oh, okay, then I'm safe. Because, <laughs> because if McKellen cut it, yeah. then obviously it's fine to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and the histories in particular are kind of brutal mm. because. There's all these court machinations and all these peripheral side I mean, there's there's like sure. I don't know. There's like fifty, sixty characters in these some of these plays because there's all these courtiers and people, yeah. and you're going, I'm not sure who's important, mm. you know. And 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 you can lose the forest for the sure. trees when you read it over and over and over again, trying to cut the thing. And eventually, you're like, okay, if okay, I don't need Rivers, Vaughn, and Gray. I'm gonna make them all one person, you know. <laughs> so you know, you can kind of do that, but yeah. you don't want to. It's a balancing act between making it digestible for an audience because yeah. we don't know these guys anymore, sure. and making it and making it uh, still be the same play. Sure. Because if you cut out all the court machinations and all of the courtiers and all the side characters, then you kind of sit there thinking to yourself, "Well, maybe I actually don't want to do one of the history plays. Yeah. If I want to eliminate all of the stuff that makes them one of the history plays, mm -hmm. maybe I don't want to do one of them." Yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the interesting things about the, the history plays, but Shakespeare in general, is yeah. that. Um, and this makes it a bit of a challenge for the modern audience is that most of the ex the exposition happens up front. Yeah. Um, before our ear as an audience gets attuned to the language. Yes. Because usually we sit down and we're like, even if we're familiar with it, it takes us a little bit of time to go, uh, oh, wait, oh, now I understand it because we yeah. have to hear it for a bit before our brain clicks in and understands it. And, and that's why a lot of times when I'm doing... Shakespeare or classical texts for the first few speeches of the first couple of scenes I will lean less on the poetry yes. you know I won't flow into the iambic pentameter until scene three yeah. because because that because if I have a more uh, modern delivery then it lets mm. it lets modern audiences digest it faster and you just talk a little slower R Richard III has has the big advantage of that very very long opening monologue oh sure and and we're familiar enough with that yes that I think most people yeah we've everybody's at least heard now is the winter of our discontent they might have heard yes. no other lines from that this monologue the but they've at least heard that and so as soon as they hear that they go oh it's this one. Yeah. And then they're kind of tuned in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So it, it, it kind of works that yeah. way. Some of them are a lot harder than that because we don't know the opening yeah. quite so well. Yes. Um, and uh, But even those sort of depend on... I mean, most people are familiar enough with, with the, the ones that get produced. Mm -hmm. I mean... Nobody knows what's going on in, in Time and of Athens mm, or, no. or Pericles. Mm. Shakespeare geeks do but yeah you know, audiences mean, don't but but that, that but, but they're not the, producing it does make them a hard sell and that's, yeah i mean it's, it's it's a vicious circle because we don't produce them because people don't know them so they don't go to see them so we don't yeah. produce them so nobody sees them well yeah and and uh yeah basically we you know we know yeah. romeo and juliet mm -hmm. hamlet macbeth othello yeah. julius caesar mm -hmm. king lear a little bit midsummer night's dream is probably yeah. the most and maybe much ado about nothing mm -hmm. um and that's like we'll recognize titles from other sure. ones, but like I don't think people are as, are terribly familiar with them. And even in that list that I just rattled off, people aren't really familiar with a lot of them. No, it's true. Um, they're most familiar, I think, probably with Romeo and Juliet. Oh, would sure. you say? 
I mean, I, I would agree with that. I mean, that's the one that we... So everybody's done that in school. Yeah. I mean, everybody you know read that one. And they should. It's a brilliant play. Mm. <laughs> I mean, like, the, the, the other thing is, you know, people, some people are like, I'm sick of it and it's all, and you're like, you know, you're sick of it because it's ubiquitous and it's mm. ubiquitous because it's awesome. Yeah. I've read that play a ton. I did mm. a parody of it. I'm going to remount the, uh, it's called Romeo and Juliet, an escapist comedy. And, right. and I'm remounting it at the Hamilton Fringe this summer. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, so if you want to know a play, um, you read it. Mm. If you want to know it well, you you know you study it in a class. Mm. If you want to know it inside and out, you perform the play. Mm. But if you want to know it backwards and forwards better than the author himself, you write a parody of it. Because in order to <laughs> in order to write a comedy version of it, you have to break it down to its molecules and then rebuild it mm. as a different version of itself that is different than itself. Sure. And to do that, you have to know it more intrinsically, the DNA of it. And and in so doing that, I developed such an appreciation for Romeo and Juliet that you wouldn't believe because everything that I delved into had so many layers and such depth and such intricacy and interest. Every scene, I would I would go to rewrite a new scene and I go, oh my goodness, this scene just seemed to be to be exposition before. It just seemed dry and banal and boring and now sure. it seems so alive and vibrant and wonderful. Um, there was, I'm just trying to remember the name, but there was several years ago, uh, Second City in Chicago, I think was doing a um, a series of musical versions. They did, I think they did a Hamlet, and then they did a Romeo and Juliet. And I can't remember, but they, it was really quite, oh, it was... I think you're thinking versus, of West Side people, Story. Versus, <laughs> no, but there's, 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 yes, there's, I know, there's yes. called The People versus Friar Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... There's like, there is actually, it's like sort of noir because there's like, the prince is kind of like a, a noir, yeah, yeah. like cop sort of thing. Oh, but yes, like, yeah, yeah. And, but it's very pointed. It's very, you know, they obviously knew, like, it's not like they were like, oh, I kind of know this. Let's like, let's fuck with it. They were like, they knew. Yeah, what they were you have doing. to know it cold. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, ab- absolutely. Uh, Friar Lawrence is, is, is uh, funny that you bring it up because. Uh, Romeo and Juliet is one of two Shakespeare plays in which, due to conflict between families, uh, two lovers are bereft of each other, and a priest suggests that the woman fake her death to make it better. The other one being much ado about nothing. After the, the big falling out at the wedding there... The priest at the wedding goes, you know what you should do, hero... <laughs> you should pretend to be dead. Now he doesn't give her a potion to no. do it. But he says, "He says we'll have a funeral for you. We'll pretend to be dead, and then and then um, oh, I, uh, the, the uh, Claudius is yeah. the, is her her uh, fiance. He'll he'll suddenly he'll forget everything he thought bad about <laughs> you, and he'll be like, oh, I miss her now that she's dead. And then it, at, then when he goes to mourn you, you can pop out and be like, ta-da, I'm not dead. And uh, and and he'll be like, oh, fantastic, what a great day." Uh, Kalu Kalei. There's just a significant <laughs> difference in one, it works out because they get married, and the yeah. other one, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It, it goes very it bad. It goes very bad. <laughs> there's a few. I, I kind of wonder something. What the fuck was going on in the church at the time? <laughs> <laughs> so the Shakespeare was like, I know, a priest is going to just suggest that somebody's dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> did, did this happen to. Did this happen? Was this a common issue? This was how Shakespeare met Anne Hathaway. Was, was <laughs> The local, the local parish priest in Stratford upon Avon, there was a falling out, and and he said, "You know what you do, Anne? 
in order to win your boyfriend back, you pretend to be dead, and he will love it so much that he'll he'll marry you and write two plays. Um, and they did, and lived happily ever after. As this, this is historic. They moved away, went off to London, left her mind Well, I said, well, I didn't say that their marriage was happy. I said, I said they were happy. And so once they, once he was in London and she was in Stratford, everybody was very, very happy. And, and every anniversary, she would pretend to be dead again, and, and it would re- rekindle their their love, and he would go back to her, and and then he would he would be returned to the siren call. This is historically accurate. This is all very true. This all happened. This is all happened. It's all true. It's as true as the history in Richard III. (laughs) (laughs) Which is that the names are correct, but I made up the rest. I mean... He he made up a lot of it. He did, but to his credit, he was working with some bad sources. Oh, yes. Well, and even, I mean, even the the Richard's whole deformity, um, you know, that is uh, an exaggeration. When they discovered his skeleton under the car park, or at least what they... they're ninety nine percent sure yeah. is his skeleton. They discovered that he had he did have the slight scoliosis, like the slight bend yeah. uh, to his spine. But it would have been such that you know a decent clothier could have like patted one of the shoulders <laughs> and actually st- and and he would have looked fine. Yeah. Nothing wrong with his arm. Nothing wrong with his leg. Yeah. You know, nothing wrong with uh, with with that. So he wouldn't have been yeah. that. And and reading up on on Richard. Um, there's kind of conflict, you know. Some people think that he was a horrible tyrant, mm. and other people are like, "No, that was a smear campaign by Richmond," which I would totally buy. Oh shit! So Give, would I. Given that that, and it would work too, because every I think, in within my lifetime, certainly, every president, and to some extent, prime minister, I think every administration that takes over from the previous one, anytime somebody says, "Why haven't you balanced the budget?" or "Why why is there still this?" or "Why is it? they go?" Well, the last guys made it impossible for me to fix it. Yes, Every, yeah. Everybody does it. No matter oh, who's sure. moving in, they go, well, you know, I would I would be fine, but I was handed such a mess. You wouldn't believe what I had. <laughs> you know, it's it, you know, it went from, from when it went from Bush to Obama. Yep. You know, the Obama administration said, well, the reason why everything's going so bad right now is because Bush put it all in the toilet. And Trump's doing the same yeah, thing yeah, to the yeah, Obama yeah. administration. Yeah. Now, I, you know, the credibility of these various organizations is Maybe different. Right. Yes. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I've tended to believe that the truth usually sits somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, Richard yeah. probably was not a brilliant king. He mm-hmm. probably was pretty bad in a lot of ways, and he probably did some tyrannical things. But he probably wasn't the out-and-out demonic hellish monster sure. that, that we think of him as or that Shakespeare thought of him as. Sure. Because at some point, Richmond probably was like, Everybody flocked to Richmond, the good king. I had to kill the last one. Why? Because he was a total monster. Yes. Yeah, no, no. And I mean, they're, they're the mistakes that somebody can make when they are king. Oh, yes. And if they are unprepared for king. Yeah. Shit. Um, that, you know, he was not in the direct line of succession. No. He only got there because he killed the yes. people, people got killed. That's right. So it was not like he was raised uh, with the expect, expectation that he would be king. So he ends up in... in in a world where um, he may have wanted to be, but he was unprepared. For yeah, it. doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. So sure, lots of mistakes. I'm sure he didn't. Yeah. You know, as as people are, as the people who are big fans of his will be very quick to tell you that he did not kill the princes in the tower. You know, well, yes, that that's totally unconfirmed, mm. and exactly like it's it's so unconfirmed that it that, like as. The research that I was doing on this, it's kind of like, it's really up in the air as to what exactly happened to them. Sure. Just going on 
what was probably going on at the time. Mm -hmm. I would guess that they probably were killed. Mm -hmm. um, and but but did Richard order it, or did did one of his confederates just go? Sure. You know, they need to die because because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're gonna grow up and they're gonna try. Somebody's gonna try to put them on the throne. Like you don't want them sure. floating around. So if they weren't if they weren't killed, they were certainly exiled to as far away as these guys could sure. could ship them because yeah. uh, you don't want, particularly in the middle of the War of the Roses. Mm. You know, you, they, I mean, they they feel at that point that the War of the Roses has been concluded. It turns out it won't be concluded until Richmond. Sure. Uh, but um, yes, yeah, so they 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 don't know exactly what mm. happened with the two princes, and it is really really murky around yeah. them because they just basically it's not that you hear that they lived or that they died. You just stop hearing about mm. them. Mm. And the reason why I would figure that they they must have died because otherwise somebody would have tried to do something sure. with them now. Now they might have lived until Richmond took the throne. Richmond might have killed them. Um, they might have died of disease, mm -hmm. which was fairly common. Not uncommon. They could have been sent away on a ship in the ship sank. Yes, there, there could have been. They could have. They could have gone on a holiday and gotten lost yes. and, and yeah. died out in the wilderness <laughs> somewhere. You know, like they could have been. You know, roaming through mm. Germany and mm. uh, Germany not being a particularly welcoming place at that time. Mm. You know, they might have died there. Sure. Actually, I shouldn't limit that to Germany. A lot of places in of medieval places, yeah. Europe were not very welcoming, it being called the Dark Ages for a reason. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so uh, who knows? Who knows? And of course, to some extent, it's kind of like, who knows any of it? I mean, like, it's all... At a, at a certain point, history is kind of fiction. Mm. <laughs> I mean, if you go back far enough, and I mean, yeah. when sources become hard to verify... Yeah, once we get back to the oral tradition, for goodness sakes... I mean, I mean you the, know, like, the difficulty was with Shakespeare's um, uh, plays is, for some people, yeah. that's history. Yeah. That's well, not... This um, is... And, and it may have been for his audience, too. You, well, and, you know, this is actually... I consider this to be still true today. The mm -hmm. times, they aren't a change in. You yeah. know, right? Like... Yeah. Um, the the thing you know if you think about uh, was the movie uh, I Tanya mm -hmm. just came out and caused a bunch of controversy of people being like really makes her seem like super innocent I didn't see the film no I, um, it's one of those ones I intend to see but I never got around to it but I, that's the thing I've heard is it makes her seem like, like very much a victim, victim. yeah uh, and. And the thing is, I don't know enough about the incident to actually comment one way or the other. Sure. But for a lot of people who are watching that film, it is now true. Sure. And a lot of people who are watching that film, they didn't know the story in the first place. Yeah. Um, the, the Imitation Game. Mm -hmm. You know, people were, you know, and, and then reading about The Imitation Game, you read that, you know, he wasn't the, you know, The Imitation Game makes it seem like he's the only code cracker. And they'd cracked, they'd already cracked some of the Enigma before mm -hmm. him, and they don't, he cracked a specific way or something like that. I, I don't, yeah. it's been a while since I read it, but like, that was kind of wrong. Um, it's, uh, it's possible or even probable that it wasn't, that he didn't kill himself, that he died by accident, because mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember exactly what the sure. articles I read online said, but basically, you know, like, it, it's possible that that, that like he was just had cyanide in his lab. It was cyanide, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Yeah, and it just you know if if you just you miss a trace of it and you're dead, right? So like it's like it's not necessarily even suicide. So like yeah. movies and plays and art stories mm. take a particular tack because they're they're delivering you a story you want to see that's yeah. entertaining for you. Um, 
Oh, Shakespeare, anonymous. The the the. the oh shit! Uh, right, you know. Yes. I mean, anonymous is. Um, I I will I will tell this joke now for the true Shakespeare geeks. Um, William Shakespeare, the Earl of Oxford, and Marlowe walk into a bar, and uh, it's jam packed. The place is crowded, and so it takes the bartender just ages to get them their pints. And by the time he gets back over, all three of them are sitting together and sniggering, and on the table in front of them is a little cocktail napkin on which is scrawled, Thou art the most slovenly bartender in all of Christendom. And the bartender slams down their drinks, and he says, All right, which one of you wrote this? (laughs) And I tell that joke as often as I can, Mm -hmm. because I wrote it. It's it's mine, Uh and almost nobody gets it. (laughs) No, but like you have to be, you have to be pretty. Uh... And uh, and and it's it's one of those. I have a, a whole back pocket full of these like useless. Like I can do a Jiminy Glick impersonation, mm. and nobody in yeah. my peer groups anyway really know who Jiminy Glick sure. is. And so it's basically useless. Yeah. I can sing the times they are changing in the style of Glenn Yarborough. Yeah. Do you know how useful that is? No, it's not no, at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's like. Um, and so the, that joke is kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I wrote this joke and and uh, and slaved on it for. It has for a small audience, but the audience that will get it, will I really hope, appreciate. I hope if you're listening, you appreciate it. <laughs> and, and if you don't, look up the movie Anonymous and then listen to the joke again, and you'll probably get it at that point. Just don't bother watching movie. I heard it was good, actually. I, I mean, I, I'm not saying historically accurate. No, I'm saying like no. I heard it was a good film or an enjoyable film. I, I didn't see. I didn't see it. The, one of the one of the issues around that film was uh, I didn't see it because I knew that I would be sitting there in a rage. Like, yeah, just, just like oh, it was like oh, 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 oh God! And, like so, <laughs> I was so unbearable to watch yeah. it with. So I never wanted to see it because I don't like to make myself angry. Uh, there was a time when I was like I need to feel my rage, but I was a young man then. And um, that's why I used to read the Toronto Sun for that purpose, but I don't anymore. Um, You know, if you're looking for that kind of political rage, I feel like there are much better outlets than the Toronto Sun. Well, there are now. At the time, there were not. At the time, there were not quite so many. Yeah, Um, but uh, yeah, I feel like you you could really get your rage on if you wanted to. Oh, sure, but, you know, a heart and all that stuff. I kind of find it fascinating watching some of those things. Not just for the for the rage mm. element, because sometimes it is kind of fun to whip yourself up into a bit sure. of a frenzy. But sometimes I find myself watching it, being like, "How is it that you are saying things that are factually correct, mm-hmm. and yet I know you are so lying?" Mm. Yeah, you know, and and you kind of I try to tease them apart. I'm like, "Oh, okay, what you're doing is," and a lot of times, like they set a false premise or something, but it's very crafty, yeah. and it's it's crafty to the point where I'm not even sure that they're necessarily doing it. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Where like I feel like they almost they're doing it automatically, or mm. they could be doing it automatically as much as anything else. Maybe I mean for a lot of them, they're setting themselves a, a particular uh, point of view to view everything. Yeah, like. Fox News, for example, their entire purpose is every story, how can we frame this yeah. for a right-leaning audience? What yeah. is our take on this? And everything goes through that filter. What's really wild, of course, is that is that like the sun, like they're not even like Fox isn't even the most biased source anymore. Not like anymore. it's like it's just it's like because now there's like so many more options for your 
fake news. Well, yeah, because, I mean, in order to get on the air, they, they had to not be as wild and wacky as they perhaps want to be. Sure. But, but in order to get on the air, if the air is the internet, you can be as wild and wacky as you want. Anybody so there's, can broadcast on the internet. There are some wacky dudes out there <laughs> on the internet. And you watch it, and you're like, what? I can't. How can you? Yeah. What's really amazing, you know what really amazes me and infuriates me and frustrates me and really, really is troubling is the number of times somebody will put something on Facebook and I'll take one look at it and go, there's no way that's right. Yeah. And you run it through scopes mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, it's wrong. Yeah. Like it comes up immediately. You yeah. Google search it and it's, it wrong. and it's wrong. And you're like, how did you not run a Google search before you posted it? Well, because people see a thing and it matches their bias and so they repost yeah. it. And you're just like, and it, and it's usually it's usually something about like a water you know like oh mm-hmm. in the in the drinking water is the you know they put yeah. the chemicals in and, <laughs> and something like that and you're like no that doesn't sound right and a lot of the times it's when it's usually the 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 most the easiest ones I find the easiest ones to spot are the ones posted by people who and the narrative basically goes like this such and such evil company for money 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 purposes. Mm-hmm. Is is killing people mm. to make their money? Yeah, and I, every time I see one of those, I'm like, you know, I bet that's not true. Yeah, because evil companies do not want to kill you. They they don't if care you die, if you die. No, but if you if they're killing you, they're not getting your money. Exactly. Anymore. They don't want to kill so you. I saw one recently that was about uh, farmers dumping uh, crop dusting their fields with chemicals right before harvest because mm. it made them slightly you know weaker and thus like. Uh, it was it was easier on the the machines the the threshing machines yeah you know to go through the wheat and so like the wear and tear on those machines was lower and and you're like there's no way there's no way there's no yeah. way that they are shipping out like grains that will kill you in exchange for like a slightly less wear and tear on a blade yeah no. and so like I run it through scopes and sure enough there's like tons of evidence and right in the comment section on this thing are farmers going. Do you know how expensive it is to crop <laughs> dust your fields? If you're trying to save money, a slight amount of wear and tear on the blade that is designed to cut wheat mm-hmm. in exchange for crop dusting is not the way to do it. And so you read stuff like this and you're like, how could you fall for that in the first place? Yeah. Well, it's a lack of knowledge, right? Yeah. Which is why some of what uh, uh, has been said about and you know, the propaganda about Richard III yeah. It might actually be absolutely Richmond's uh, 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 legitimacy. I, I totally believe it. It was it. I believe it was it, Richard dies, mm-hmm. and Richmond immediately is like, "You might have heard that Richard did some good things for you, but that's all fake news." So, <clears throat> you know, in that in that that series where they tackled like the histories when they yeah. got to the end of the of Richard the Third, that speech that Richmond gives, yeah, was a televised speech. Mm. Which very interesting, totally sort of changed the perception of it. Well, yes, because because we're I'm suspicious when I see politicians telling me things that they have prepared on TV. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It was like just seeing him behind a desk, like the like the prime minister with television cameras, and they had like televisions on the stage showing his speech, and it was just like, oh, now this changes everything. Yes. It does. It absolutely does. Mm-hmm. The context is totally different there. And and th- this is one of the things that I actually find the most fascinating about putting on Shakespeare shows because, you know, for practical reasons, mm-hmm. you cut them. Yep. Or at least I have cut them up until now. I feel like you like there are places where you have to acknowledge that it drags or there's 
There's things that you have to cut. Yes. Like. You know what it actually is for me? I feel like actually you could do every single one of them word for word, exactly as written, but you would need such a robust budget mm -hmm. because what you would need to do is is work every single moment so thoroughly yeah. that it couldn't fail. Yeah. Um, which means that you need that much more rehearsal time, which yeah. is expensive, yeah. and you need to pay the top actors who can handle that sort of thing. You need to you need to, you need to be casting really great actors mm -hmm. in tiny little roles so that they can they can make it work in sure. ways that nobody ever would have dreamed about. And so basically for me, I don't have the budget to do uncut Richard III. But you know, what's interesting is, is uh, whenever people talk about cutting Shakespeare, I think about Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Yeah. Which is an excellent example of why Hamlet does need cutting. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I have seen Richard, or I have seen uh, uh, Laurence Olivier's Hamlet, sure. which I think is an excellent example of why you can cut it without losing the main thrust of the thing. Because yes. it's two and a half hours long, or two and a quarter, yeah. and, and Hamlet in uncut is four and change hours long and so if you can wipe out I mean that's it's the same with Richard yeah we, we've got ours down to I think I think plus the intermission mm -hmm. we're a little over two hours yeah but depending on whether you're going by the folio or the quarto mm -hmm. Richard is either the second longest or the longest play yeah, yeah. in the entire canon it's I mean there are scenes in Hamlet that like and you find this in most of the longer Shakespeare plays there are things yeah. that drag yeah there are things that the audience in, in Shakespeare's they really dug yeah, that we don't. There's a whole scene in in uh, in Hamlet, which is all wordplay that does nothing but its wordplay and, yeah. and and metaphors for sex. Yeah, which Shakespeare's audience was all over. Yeah, but. Like, First of all, we're going to miss half the wordplay, exactly. or, or a lot of our audience exactly. is going to miss half the wordplay. Now, now that said, so, some of us, the real Shakespeare geeks amongst us, like I, I, when my wife and I went to see Macbeth at mm. Stratford a couple of years ago, um, I'm, you know, the gravedigger scene, I'm killing mm. myself, sure. laughing, and we're sitting in the middle of a bunch of uh, teenagers. Yeah. A, a high school group, I believe, had come to see it, and so we're sort of in that group. Um, which was kind of interesting because, like, they're looking around, like, back at me, like, why are you laughing? Like, yeah. it's not funny. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you laughing at? And, and Jody afterwards said to me, she was like, it was funny watching them because she's going, he's laughing because he gets it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, yes. This, this particular scene is yeah. not, like, it's not funny anymore. No. And it goes on for far too long. Well, and that's the other thing there's is that you can trim bits. them all back. Absolutely. There's yeah. a lot of a lot of bits. And so, you know, the, cutting can be what I can be like very is effective. when people change words so much. I didn't I added one line mm -hmm. to Richard the yeah. Third. Um, and it was to cover an entrance because I'd welded two scenes together. Okay. Yeah. And so it was to cover an entrance that, that didn't exist in the same context before. Sure. So basically there's like Richard leaves and his mom comes in and laments and laments mm -hmm. with all these people. And Richard comes back and in our cut, Richard never leaves. Right. And so it was, it seemed odd that he said nothing to his mother mm. for three pages. Yes. Um, when, when in the original text, he acknowledges her basically as soon as she's in the room. Yes. So I added the line comfort mother comfort yes. when she comes in. Sure. Um, and I felt I've, that was okay. I've seen productions where they've changed like, like I remember they were, since they were doing it in a modern setting uh, a production uh, of uh, Taming of the Shrew um, they added charge cards and cash 
right to oh yes the the whole the whole Baz Luhrmann bring bring me my broadsword and it turns out broadsword is the name brand of the gun he's got I don't even mind that oh really I don't even mind I mean I thought it was clever what I mind is like I thought it was cute and we said (laughs) charge cards and cash not like we right yes yeah like we like threw whole like modern references into the text yeah and I'm not into that no I I. I'm not a big fan of most productions mm. that move the play mm. for a variety of reasons. First of all, I find that they do it to be cute. Look sure. what we did. We changed all the char- all the money to, to charge cards. You're yeah, like, yeah, 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 that's adorable. Yeah. Or like, hey, look, I've got a cell phone. I've received a message from my messenger. And yes. everybody's winking. And you're like, yes, it's adorable that yeah. you've done that. But there's no point to it. Sure. Um, the other thing that I find that it does when they move the context... Mm. It can often, it makes sense. Like, they'll pick a, a time period, they'll move it where it's like 80% of the text comes alive in a way and you go, oh, I never thought about that before. Sure. But the other 20%, you're like, okay, this doesn't make any sense anymore. Yeah. You know, so for instance, in, uh, in Much Ado About Nothing, when you move it to a modern context, there's the whole big speech that Beatrice has, if I were a man, I would eat his heart in the marketplace yes. and all that kind of stuff. It makes sense in an era when women can't challenge men to duels. Yes. And when they wouldn't have been trained in combat. Yeah. And when she couldn't have... Because they were fighting with swords, she couldn't have overpowered him yeah. with swords and weaponry. It does not make any sense in an era when when women are more than welcome to, to fight men, yeah. if they would like. And in an era when the gun is a pretty big equalizer. Not yeah. that it requires no skill to sure. use, but if you walk up behind somebody and pull a trigger, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's easier to do that than 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 not or even walk in front. Anyway, so I so we, yeah. That that changes. The third thing that I find that moving the context does is that it actually I think pigeonholes it into mm. one thing. Mm. So, you know, if you make Romeo and Juliet about the conflict in the Middle East, and sure. you make the, you know, Montagues, the Arabs and the Capulets, the the uh, Israelis, mm-hmm. then what you've done is you've made a play about the Middle East mm-hmm. when if you make Romeo and Juliet and you keep it in its original context, mm. it's kind of distanced from us. Sure. We see it as sort of a thing. And because of that distancing, I find then it's easy to apply that template over all of our lives. Sure. And we go, and, and so if, if it's done correctly, yeah. um, if it's done well, Romeo and Juliet wearing the doublets and hose, you'll watch it and go, oh, this is about the Middle East. Mm. Oh, this is about Democrats and Republicans. Oh, this is about... And you'll be able to apply it everywhere instead of just to one context. And so I find that when we get too specific with Shakespeare, we actually limit it as opposed to broadening it out. What's interesting is is I've seen some effective productions of Shakespeare where they don't specify a period. Yes, and that I think is great, too. Where they just sort of like, we're wearing what's right for this character, but we're not like... Yeah, so this is taking place. It's taking place it's now. more it's abstract, like, yes. or or it's a mishmash, or something sure. like that. Yes, I I enjoy that, and that's not to say I've never enjoyed a recontextualized Shakespeare. Sure. Or I'm not saying I'm right either, and I, I and I know plenty of people who prefer to move it and who like it and get stuff out of that. And so this is just my personal sure. feelings on the whole thing. Sure. I've seen some productions. I've been involved in some productions that, that get very conceptual with Shakespeare. And yeah. The problem is that um, they their concept. When you can be very clever with the concept, but it gets in the way of Shakespeare. So, like every time you're trying to tell your story, you're like hitting up against the wall. Yeah, it's actually Shakespeare's because you're, you're trying to get cleverer than the writing, which yeah. is already some of the cleverest writing in the world. Sure, yeah. And and so to do that is 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 to do it an injustice. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so, yeah, you don't want to fight it. Yeah. I, I took a Shakespeare workshop recently, and that, one of the things the guy said, now he's talking about acting styles, sure. but he's like, a lot of actors are kind of fighting it. Exactly yeah, what sure. you're saying. We're trying to apply all this stuff. And he's like, just don't fight the text. Just speak it well. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and it yeah. kind of comes through. Yeah. Um, a good example I actually think of of moving it was uh, Much Ado About Nothing mm-hmm. and in Modern Dress in uh, the Joss Whedon film version and I liked yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked that film mm. and one of the reasons I didn't mind it in that was because it didn't feel like they were making a point mm. they weren't saying oh this is about this modern conflict right, right. or oh this is this or this is that it almost felt more like um, we're in modern dress because we have these suits and we didn't have doublets and hose in our closets yeah. and so we got these instead and so because they didn't they weren't pushing it into my face sure. all the time I could kind of forget that they were in suits yeah and and I could just see the production again yeah um, and I could just appreciate the words, which is really what you're trying to do. Of you're course. just trying to make somebody appreciate the production and yeah. appreciate the show. You don't yeah. want – if all the trappings are, are what's interesting, then just have people dress up in interesting trappings and walk around on stage. Sure. I mean, there, I mean, people will sometimes say that's what they've been doing in Stratford for years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's um, – did you ever sure. watch Slings and Arrows? I did. I watched – I have not watched the entire thing. I watched uh, – Part of it, but yeah. I remember the first season. There's a lot of talk about the costumes, and and you know, there's like some blocking that's done so that they'll be able to see the costume better. It's like, well, yeah. that's we've been saying about it for years. You, you know what, costumes. though, there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, like, <laughs> like, if, it, but but, and I'll point at the difference of yeah. what I mean now versus then. Mm. There's a difference between between taking you know, oh, my reimagined Shakespeare, which is yes. set on the moon, and I'm going to shove the costume in your face because I'm saying like, see, look at the political points yes, I'm yeah, making. Yeah. Then I feel condescended to. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a really great costume and you want to parade it in front of me so that I'll go, ooh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm okay with and the other reason not to move Shakespeare and this is the other thing is the sword fighting mm-hmm. because by cracky like if, if you go and see sword fighting on stage that's a lot of fun mm-hmm. yeah. and it's a lot of fun to do sure. we have in in, in uh, our production of Richard we have I built uh, I didn't build my father-in-law built uh, a shield mm-hmm. that Richard has and it's this massive it's like 30 inches across it's this huge round shield and uh, shield combat on stage is a lot of fun mm. because every other hit on stage is a fake hit. You're missing by that much. You yeah. pull back at the last second. Uh, you know, your punch doesn't actually connect. It's all fake, but not a shield. Because mm. a shield is exactly what a shield is at all times, a big block of something that you can strike. And yes. so we smash on this shield, and it's great. Mm. Because you get to watch people hit a shield, and there's that solidity to the combat that's yeah. very interesting. Well, I mean, that's the thing about 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 sword play. Yeah. And why it is so effective in, in in Shakespeare is because like there's there is a contact there. Yeah. Even if you don't like, even not the the stabbing. It's yeah. the there is the inherent the visceral feeling of like metal on metal, but you also get violent. Also, the fact that like you're swinging these things around, which yeah. and if you do essentially can hurt. So, it's the perception of the time yeah, you get hurt. Exactly. And and if we did it wrong, we would get hurt. Yeah. But we don't. We spend hours and hours and hours doing <laughs> it. Um and uh and it's it's so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. On Julius uh Caesar, we did spears and I'd never done spear combat on stage before. Mm. That's a lot of fun. Oh, that's a lot of fun. It that was a lot of fun. Harrowing if the audience isn't unprepared for what that can mean though. But in a good way. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh our, the, the feedback that I got from our audiences was yeah. that they very much enjoyed it. And, mm. and um, yeah, it, you know, I remember talking to, I've talked to several groups of, of actors about it, but like, you mm. know, I'm kind of like, 
I want to see I want to see combat yeah. when I go to see Shakespeare. I mean, I don't want to see combat in, you know, well, I'm trying to think of one where there isn't combat. I mean, not not necessarily like violent, horrible, we're going to kill each other combat, but like, you know, don't you want to see Oberon like, you know, use a slapstick on Puck? Oh, shit. Yeah, you I know, mean, there's, always, there's, there's, there's something. Comedy of errors. You want to see uh, uh, Dromeo mm. get his butt kicked. Yeah. You know, you want to see all kinds of, you want to see the Three Stooges. You want yes. to see a different type of violence, but you yeah. still want to see it. Mm. And audiences came to see it. There's mm. certain expectations that audiences have. Um, like you can't cut any of the big lines yeah, no. in Shakespeare. You know, you, Julius Caesar's full of them, by oh, the way, sure. right? Like it's, it, there's, it's, it's got to have some of the most per capita, like of our, sure. you know, et tu Brute. Yes. Um, uh, the fault, dear Brutus, is in not in our stars but in ourselves. Um, uh, uh, friends, Romans, countrymen, sure. lend me your ears. You know, like on and on. And if you cut any one of those things, people would walk out feeling like they wanted their money back. Well, of course, because they, they, they. They, there's like oh there's one thing I know in this play and that is yeah. if we shadows have offended you know it's like yes, there's one yes. thing I know is this don't take that away from me yeah exactly and 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 I want to see it sure um, I heard a story in an interview once with Mandy Patinkin and he talked about how because he does the opera singing and he talks about it when he does concerts um, he can sing the most beautiful arias. Yes. In, in, in perfectly, he can sing notes nobody's heard before. Yes. He can sing the, he can sing it in in such a way that anybody would weep, and it doesn't matter. The best reaction he can possibly get is if he is if he stands center stage with an audience and says, "Hello, my, my name is Inigo Montoya. Yes. Yes. Prepare to die." Yeah. <laughs> and if he says that, they go nuts. Of course, they and do. because that's what we want to see. Yes. And I'm a big fan of giving audiences what they want to see. Sure. I, I'm I, too many artists I've known kind of get uh, into this whole weird place where we're kind of like, no, I want to. It's 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 the it's the dark side if there is a dark side yeah. a darker side of the bouffant uh-huh. right like yeah. the idea of like I'm going to be grotesque I think that there's a lot of great things about that but the impulse from a lot of actors is I'm going to make my audience hate me uh-huh. and like hate being here and I'm like why would you make them hate no. being here I understand why you want to explore the grotesque sure. and why you want to explore things that are uncomfortable but I still want my audience to walk out going boy I was really glad I bought that ticket well they should come out they should, yeah. they should uh, at least and, think that and I think if you do bouffant or clowning well sure. they will do that but yes. but um, but a lot of artists seem to want to punish their audiences they, they, they go I only want to do I only want to do confusing <laughs> you know just, just you know avant-garde push the envelope I just I only want to do do this kind of stuff. I don't want to have a sword fight. I don't want to have a cool costume. I don't want to have a funny character. Right. And and again, back to Shakespeare. He had everything for everybody. Well, that he is had, the thing. He had romance. He had hate. He had envy. He had beautiful poetry for the poetry lovers. Yep. He had conflict and dialogue for yep. the true dramatists. And he had the gravedigger scene for the people, the groundlings sitting on the stage yep. at the front booing and heckling until you brought out somebody funny to get hit in the face with a pie right he had everything for everybody and he weaves it together in such a way that it all works most of the time unless it's the Merry Wives of Windsor which we've established is terrible (laughs) Um, uh, somebody's gonna write me and say the Merry Wives of Windsor is my favorite favorite Shakespeare and here's why you're wrong and and for that person uh, for the record I'm joking right now and I've never actually read the play so I'm not actually commenting on it at all (laughs) Um, but but yes Um, anyway so uh, Princess Bride. 
back to that. Yes. It's a great example of it's got everything for everybody. It does, in fact. There's beautiful character things. There's metafiction mm-hmm. throughout the play. It's like it's yeah. got that yeah. element to it. So that like clever intellectual metafiction is running mm-hmm. around. Um, it's got comedy. It's got adventure. It's got love. It's got romance. It's got everything for everybody. And it weaves it all together in one great package mm-hmm. that everybody can enjoy. Yeah. Strangely... The marketing department didn't get this memo and managed to make one of the worst movie trailers of all time. That's very true because uh, the Princess Bride didn't was not successful in its first. And that doesn't first. surprise me watching that trailer. The trailer no. is appalling. I because I, I I mean by the time I watched it I I sure I didn't I didn't bother seeing the trailer. Somebody said watch this. It's it great. Only it only became I think it really much like Clue. It only became Clue is great. In like in DVD, yeah. in VHS and DVD, yeah. people were like, I saw it in the theater, but I don't uh, like not a lot of people did. Yeah. I fell in love with it in the theater, but again. Yeah. Most people did not. If you watch it, I think you fall in love with it. Sure, I mean, there's a certain movie, uh, Princess Bride. I can understand why somebody wouldn't like Clue. Um, it's not until it was on VHS and it had all of the endings that people started to really enjoy. Yeah, it. yeah, Clue. Yeah, Clue is great. <laughs> I remember watching it. There was a, I think it was like a whole weekend. That for some reason, basically, my entire family were out. Like, my brothers had gone to hang out with their friends all weekend. I, as a child, I didn't have friends. Um, and uh, and my parents were somewhere. And so, like, it, I was, like, I, I was a movie kid, right? So, yeah. I'm, like, I'm, like, it's movie time, right? So, like, anytime, like, movies were on TV, I was, like, movie time. And so, like, I watched I watched Clue and I watched um, Still Crazy, the British. Uh, yeah. It's basically, like, this is Spinal Tap, but scripted. Um Michael McKean connection. Mm-hmm. How about that? Oh, wow. um, though he's not in Still Crazy. Anyways, but so like I watched a ton of these movies, yeah. and and, and uh, Clue was one of them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And and just as soon as it ended, and then it goes, or it might have gone like this. Yes. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. That, yeah. that there is no conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And just what a great cast. Yes. Yeah. Um, as Tim Curry, I'm sure, has been in terrible movies, but has Tim Curry ever been terrible? I don't think I so. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I saw somebody online posted one time, so they said, you can tell a lot about a person by where they know Tim Curry from. Mm-hmm. And I went, yeah, that's no, probably it's true. true. It's you know, true. Clue, Muppet Treasure Island, Rocky Horror Rocky Picture Horror Show. Picture for me, it would have been it would have been Rocky Horror Picture Show, but for somebody, it's legend. For somebody, it's legend, yes. For somebody, yes. it's yeah. legend. Um, for me, the first time I think I saw mm. Tim Curry was up at Treasure Island. Mm. I think. Mm. Um, I don't think I saw him in anything else, mm. and so I think that's probably where I know him most from. But I think I, th- I think I associate him more with Clue, actually. Yeah. Interestingly, yeah. Mm. Um, I've probably seen it more times because, <laughs> like any true cult classic. As soon as I discovered it, you watched it incessantly. Well, and 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 bothered other people until they would watch it with me. Yes, right? absolutely. We have to watch Clue. We have to watch Clue. Yes. You know, like just uh, like, oh, you haven't seen Clue? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Um, so Richard the Third, you opened on um, on Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, and you're running until we're running until uh, next Saturday. So okay. so oh, the number is the twenty fourth. The twenty fourth. And you are, is that the staircase? It's at the staircase. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, $20 uh, cash at the door or brown paper tickets nice. um, online if, if you want to pre-order them. Nice. Um, and uh, as I said, we've cut it way, way down, so you will not be there for four hours. <laughs> um, and as I said, there's great fighting, so you'll have a lot of fun. 
Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun to do. Nice. It's one of the best casts I've ever assembled. I'm, really? I, I'm very proud of my ability to assemble great casts. Mm. Um, and I think that that's nine tenths of work in yeah. theater, particularly if you're directing or producing. It's just, it's like, no, you need a great cast. Mm. And then easily half your work is done for you. Sure. Because they bring so much to the table and then you just tweak it instead yeah. of needing to like build a whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um, it's, I'm, I'm super pleased with the cast. They're a great cast and, nice. and, and not only are they great, but they're great fun to work with, you know, Good. cause that's yeah. the other thing is like, yes. you can assemble a team of really brilliant artists and you just hate being in a room with them <laughs> and it's magic on stage. And then you go backstage and everybody just huffs off to a corner. Mm. Which I don't think I've ever actually had that I've happen. I've actually had that, but I don't want to be a part of no, it. No, I've heard of it and I don't want it. Yeah. I never need that experience ever. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. Thank you.